Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith, and I just saw Pastor Johnny dancing in the back. That was, I'm, I'm calling you out, bro, because that's the first time I've ever seen you do that. <laughs> uh, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith, lead pastor. We're so grateful that you're here, whether you're uh, here in person, you're watching in the courtyard, or you're watching online. Uh, we're grateful to have you. And uh, as Pastor Mike just mentioned, we uh, try to bless our schools and help our schools in different ways. We provide breakfast. We uh, step in when there's some needs that uh, different principals or teachers let us know about. And one of the ways that we try to bless schools also is this time of year, we always want um, to, uh, to bless our teachers, our administrators, our counselors. So do me a favor. If you are in the school system, school district in any form, any capacity, do me a favor, raise your hand. Uh, and we want to give you a gift card. Uh, so yeah, now there's more hands being raised because you want the gift card and everybody else is not raising your hand. Give it up for these people who are serving our students, who are caring for the next generation. We're so grateful, so grateful to have you. And I want to pray for you guys uh, as you start school. As a father, I'm very grateful that school is starting tomorrow. Um, and, uh, but we want to pray that uh, God would lead you and, um, and, and give you exactly what you need. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. And I thank you so much, God, for each teacher, administrator, counselor, God, every person that plays a role in our district. We just are so grateful. Uh, and we pray for them, God. We pray that you'd give them wisdom. Uh, you'd give them uh, the knowledge that they need, Father. You'd give them favor with their students and with the families. And God, you'd give them opportunities to share their faith, to be able to, to pray for people and whatever, God, whatever setting that, that they're in, we pray that you would be with them. God, I also want to pray uh, for the families uh, this past weekend that lost uh, their kids uh, tragically. God, I pray for the, the friends of those girls. I, I pray, Father, for their teachers, for those who have uh, walked alongside of them over the years, and uh, for the counselors at CV right now who are stepping in and helping with that situation. We just pray you would meet them where they are, God. Meet these families, these friends, these uh, teachers, God. Meet them where they are, God. Give them comfort that they need. Give them exactly what they need. God, may your presence be so thick, so tangible, God. They would know that you're with them. Father, we just thank you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening. First, for the guys, uh, we have a men's retreat coming up at the end of this month. So if you're not signed up for that, do that immediately. Uh, sign up. It was one of my favorite things that we did last year. It was, it's awesome. Uh, so make sure you sign up for that. And for ladies, uh, we have a, a ladies conference coming up September 16th and 17th. Uh, already had a ton of signups for that. So ladies, make sure you, you sign up if you're not already. If you want more information about either of those two, uh, you can either go online to frontrange.org and you can find out more information or you can just write men's retreat or uh, women's conference on the connect card and we'll send you the information uh, that you need. Today, we're gonna start a new series. Uh, and to kind of start off the series, let me, let me ask this question. How many of you have noticed that the, that the people are a little bit more angry today than maybe they were like five years ago or something like that? You guys, you guys sensing that? Okay, how about, let's just be real personal. How many of you would say that maybe your fuse is a little bit shorter? Maybe you realize like you're a little bit quicker to get angry. Yeah, we're gonna talk, we're gonna do a whole series called Unoffendable where we're looking at how do you and I as followers of Christ, how do we deal with uh, the, the vitriol? How do we deal with the anger? How do we deal with the angst and, and all the stuff that comes with it, our society right now and dealing with one another? How do we as followers of Jesus walk through this season of life in a way that, that brings honor to God and, and brings healing in our relationships. We got this idea from a couple places, one from Life Church. They did a great series on, on this topic, so we learned from them. And then also uh, from a book called Unoffendable. 
Uh, I read this book for this series. It's really, really good. If you haven't read it, I would highly encourage you to read it. It is Christian-based. It is really, really strong. Uh, but the author has the audacity at the beginning of the book to say that you can live an unoffendable life. That offended me. Like, there's no way that you can live an unoffendable life. That sounds absolutely ridiculous. And, and honestly, it's not easy to offend me. I mean, unless you, you hurt my wife or you do something to my kids or, or you backstab me or a friend of mine or you talk bad about our church or you make fun of my outfit or you talk about how sweet, sweet tea from Cane's isn't the best. You know, I'm not offended easily by things in this world. Maybe you're in the same place. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, here, here's what I promise you. I promise you, I will offend you. I will. Because the goal is this. Maybe we'll discern why we get offended, why we're so easy to become offended in, uh, by people or by groups of people or by things that are going on. And then we'll receive healing from Jesus. And then maybe, just maybe, we'll live a, a little more of an unoffendable life. So to do that, we're going to look in Scripture, and we're going to take a, a broad stroke of this subject matter today, okay? Over the next few weeks, we'll give a, a lot more specific ideas and, and next steps from, from God's Word on how we can live this way. Today, we're going to take kind of a, a broad stroke. We're going to look at James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, or uh, if you need a Bible, you can go to our Connections tent as you're heading out to your car, uh, or you can download the Bible app. It's a great resource as well. And I know we just prayed, but I kind of want to pray for this message and, uh, and setting it up because I think God's got something for us today. So let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I thank you so much for your word. So I pray that your word, God, would speak to us now. You would give us exactly what we need, Father. You would speak right to our hearts and our minds, and you would help us to live lives that bring you honor and glory, lives that are less offendable. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the book of James was written by a guy named James, a pretty creative naming of, of that book. Uh, and James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, how many of you have siblings? Anybody have a sibling? Okay, most of you. Uh, now, what if your sibling came to you and said, hey, I'm God? That's kind of a weird thing, right? You'd be like, ah, no, I've seen you go through puberty. Uh, I know how you treated mom, you know, like that type of thing. But so imagine James, his brother saying, Jesus saying, hey, I'm God. I mean, it might be a little strange thing. In fact, we don't really see James following Jesus throughout Jesus' ministry and throughout his life until the resurrection. Now, if your sibling came to you and said, I'm God, you probably wouldn't believe it until they died and rose from the dead. And you'd be like, oh, I might believe you now. <laughs> James has now turned his life over. He's leading the church, uh, the, the church in Jerusalem, and, uh, and he's writing letters to churches all throughout the Roman Empire. And he's writing really to talk about practical Christianity. Like, how do you and I, as followers of Jesus, if we say we're a follower of Christ, then we have to be obedient to God's word. We have to be obedient to what God says to us. And so he's, he's giving us some, some instructions on how to live obedient lives. So James chapter 1, that's where we pick up, verse 19. Now, I'll be honest, I don't like this passage, and it 100% offends me. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Stop there. James is echoing Jewish wisdom tradition, kind of like the Proverbs. He's saying that if you can't control what you say, you won't be able to control your reactions. You won't be able to control your anger. He says, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen to what? To, to God's word, to other people. 
be slow to speak. You have to avoid hasty speech. And if you do that, then maybe you can be slow to anger. Now, he's not saying that all anger is bad. Some anger is good, like, like getting angry at my own sin, at my own junk. Like that's good because it causes me to change. But what he's talking about here is the selfish, worldly, unrestrained anger. He's saying a lack of listening combined with a lack of restraint in speech leads to ill-tempered action. I don't know about you, but when you, we look at the world around us, I would say that, that people aren't very slow to listen. That, that, that people are, are quick to speak, quick to say something, quick to interject their thoughts and quick to become angry. I know for me, this has always been an issue. I mean, I, I've always been the type of person that when you're talking, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say. Or I'm already thinking about my response, right? I'm a type A personality. I'm a pastor, so I want to help people. Uh, I, um, I'm a man, so I think I'm always right. You know, and so, you know, when somebody's talking, like, man, we don't have to go through pleasantries and all that. I already know what you're going to say, and I know the solution. Let's just get to that right now. That's kind of my mentality. That's how I've, I've kind of always lived my life, my life, but that's not what Jesus did. In fact, do you know how many recorded questions Jesus was asked in his lifetime? How many questions we know that Jesus was asked? I'll give you the answer. It's 183. Coincidentally, that's how many questions my 10-year-old daughter asked me every hour. 183. Do you know how many questions Jesus answered? Out of 183, how many do you think he answered? Give me a number. Okay. Three. Three. 83. 100. Somebody last week said, last service said seven. I'm like, oh, what a good godly number. Three. Three. Out of 183 questions, he answered three. Do you know how many he asked? 307. He asked 307 questions. He was asked 183, only answered three of them, and he asked 307. Why? Because he was slow to speak, quick to listen. Why? Because he knew that that's how you care for people. I mean, he's God, and I think God probably has a lot to say. I mean, he could have come and just talked the whole time. But when you listen to people, you show that you care about them, that you love them, that you care about what they're dealing with, what they're going through, how they believe and all of that. And Jesus wanted to ask questions. He wanted people to know, hey, I care about you. I care about you. You see, when we're quick to speak and we're quick to get angry, and we're not willing to listen to people, like our anger, it escalates. Have you noticed that, that anger has escalated over the last few years? Like for me, like a few years ago, like if you would have cut me off in traffic, I would have like prayed hemorrhoids on you or something like that, you know? Like, I know, I know, weird, and now you have a graphic and I'm sorry and all of that, but I'm not. Uh, but like I, at that time, like I didn't care about politics. Like I didn't care what you believed. Like I, I was heavy into politics myself, but not like I didn't care about what you believed. I didn't care about what you posted on social media or anything like that. But now anything sets people off. Now I'm not saying that you get set off by everything, but I'm saying that there's at least something that sets you off. There's something, there's one issue, one group of people, one person, something that, somebody, something that somebody has done that just sets you off. And if you don't get angry at the things that I get angry at, I'm angry at you. You notice that? Like you have to back me in my anger. And if you don't, then my anger is now directed at you. And some people, let's just be honest, they like to be angry. It sounds weird, but 
Some people just like to be angry. Maybe they don't like the, the, to be, the, the, the issue that, that they're angry about, but they like to stay angry. Why? Because there's a feeling of like moral superiority. Like I'm right and you're wrong. Some would say Christians are the angriest people on the planet. The Christians get the most upset about things. That they're the angriest type of people. And I'm not sure that anger is what pleases God. Should I get upset with my sin? Should I get angry at, at my sin? A hundred percent. But when that anger is directed at other people, I'm not sure that blesses God. And I would ask, how's that anger working for you? Like, is your anger causing you to sleep better at night? Does your anger allow you to go to bed and, and, and rest in peace? Do you wake up with joy because of how angry you are? Anger just hurts us. Hurts us physically, mentally, it hurts our relationships, and ultimately I believe it hurts our relationship with God. And I, I love this passage in James because it continues. I don't like it, but I do like it. Verse 19, let's read it again. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I don't like this passage. Anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I can feel the pushback already. But Ernest, my anger many times is righteous. And I feel that way sometimes. I mean, like, if you want to get my blood boiling, cut me off. Like, cut me off driving, cut me off when I'm standing in line for something. I'm like, oh. And I feel like it's like justified. Like it's like a righteous anger. Like how dare you? I've been standing here. You think you're more important than me? Like I'll start saying all these things, sometimes out loud. Sometimes I'll want to follow you. You know, whatever. Like I'm like, I'm acting crazy right now. But I can justify it. It's righteous. This is righteous. You shouldn't have done that. I was doing nothing wrong. And now look at you. So many times our anger is not righteous. How do you know if your, your anger is righteous? Here's what I would say. If our anger is righteous, then it should bring glory to God, draw people to Jesus, and be something that we want our kids to emulate. I'm gonna say that again. If you wanna know if your, your, your anger is righteous, does it bring glory to God? Does it draw people to Jesus? And is it something that you'd be like, yeah, kids, I want you to act like me. 99.9% .9 of the time for me, my anger is not righteous. In fact, I can't even think of the 0.1%, but I had to put it in there. It just makes myself feel better. Like most of the time, my anger is definitely not drawing people to Jesus or bringing glory to God or something that I want my kids to reflect. And yet I can still hear it, but earnest. But earnest, doesn't God get angry? I mean, look at Jesus. He flipped the tables at one time. And I love that we use one story to justify our anger. We use one story of, of Jesus getting angry to justify our own anger. And we take the story out of context. Well, I realize that Jesus is getting angry at the system that has been created. It's something that God has very clearly said, do not do this. He's not angry at the individuals. He's not angry even at a group of people. He's angry at the system that has been created. And we take that one story and we forget about all the other stories. This story where a smart guy comes to Jesus and he says, hey, and Jesus was like, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Like out of all the commandments that, that are out there, out of the over 600 commandments, what's the greatest? What's the one that I need the most? To be angry at the injustices of the world? No. To win the argument? 
No. To get even with somebody who's wronged me? No. It's to love God with all that you have, to love your neighbor as yourself. Man, this is hard for me because I want to justify my anger. Like, I want to say, like, and my kids shouldn't have been doing that. Of course, I got angry at them, but they, if they wouldn't have done that, then I would have gotten angry. Well, I'm, I, I'm right, and you're wrong. And so I need you to know that you're wrong. Or I'm just standing up for Christianity. And here's what I'd say about me. My anger has never brought somebody to Jesus. It's never healed a relationship. And it's never stopped an injustice from happening in the world. My anger has never done those things. Let me give you an example. I went to Kenya years ago, and I told a, a piece of this story years back. I went to Kenya, and I remember walking around, and we saw all these, all these stones kind of piled up. And they were about this long, about that high, and we saw about 50 of them. And so finally I stopped, and I was like, hey, man, what is this? One of the locals said, that's, that's a, a grave for my child. And so all the ones that you see, those are like, two-year-olds and babies that have died. What have they died from? From a lack of water. Because we have no water, we have no food. And man, I got angry. Like, are you kidding me? Like the country of Kenya can't get its act together? They're so corrupt that they would allow this? And then I'm getting angry at, you know, where's God in the midst of this? I'm getting angry at Americans. Like, how do we not do something about this? I'm just getting angry and I'm stewing in it. I'm so angry at the injustice that I see, but I'm not moving. It's not turning into action. When it turns into action is when that anger turns to love. And I go, okay, I can't do anything about what's happened, but I can do something about, going, about it going forward. Like there's still kids there. There'll be kid, more kids that come and I can do something about the water now because I love people so much that I want them to experience the, the, the things that we have that we take for granted. And so my love propelled me to come back here, raise money, you know, dig a well, all the things that we've been able to do over that. It wasn't because of anger, it was because of love. I would submit to you this, that really angry people have a hard time making a really big difference in this world. Let me say that again, really angry people have a hard time making a really big difference in this world. But if you love greatly, you will impact greatly. So if anger impacts me so heavily, if it, if it doesn't lead to peace, if it doesn't lead to joy, if it doesn't lead to, to healthy relationships, if it doesn't lead to me glorifying God and bringing people to Christ and all of that, then, then how do I overcome it? How do we begin to let go of anger and overcome offense in our lives? Let me give you two, two ideas, two thoughts of how we can let go of anger and overcome offense. Number one, lower your expectations of others. Lower your expectations of others. I know, it's just, Ernest, that doesn't sound like very pastoral. Like lower your expectations of others. What does that even mean? It means that people are going to hurt you. People are going to wrong you. People are going to sin and that sin is going to impact you in some way. I had a phone conversation with a, a family member recently and they called me up and they said, can you believe what our other family member was doing? Like, are you upset about this? And I was like, not really. How, how are you never like upset about the things that I'm upset about? And I said, because 
I've just come to expect it from that person. Like I want them to change. I pray for them to change. I have grace toward them, but I've just lowered my expectations. I don't believe that's ungodly. I believe, honestly, we see Jesus kind of doing that. And we see it all throughout scripture. I mean, look at, look at this passage that, that Paul writes to Timothy. And he's talking about people. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. By the way, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. Sounds like he's writing it today. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, my kids, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is not anything new. When you look at the life of Jesus, he, he wasn't shocked by the sinful nature of people. Like he wasn't shocked by the self-centeredness. He wasn't uh, uh, taken aback or amazed at the immoral behavior. Like when the woman that's caught in adultery, they bring her to him. He wasn't like, what? I can't believe you would do that. Also, you guys peeking in the window, watching it, you're sickos. Like that wasn't his response. Why? Because he knew that sinful people do sinful things. Sometimes you have to lower your expectation of people. We can't all be shocked by sinners doing sinful things. And guess what? I'm a sinner. And I'm going to do sinful things. So I can't be shocked when other people, like when a broken person does something that's unbroken, or something that's broken, I can't be shocked. I can't be like, I can't, I can't believe that. A bunch of my friends over the last couple of years, a bunch of my pastor friends, especially over the last year, have quit the ministry. Many of them is because they're tired of being the pinata for angry people. They're just tired of the things that have been said to us and the things that have been done and just the anger of people right now. And so over the last couple of months, I've had a few buddies that say, Ernest, how are you staying healthy in this time? And I just say, it's... It's people. Like I don't have this high expectation like everyone's going to like me. Everyone's going to say kind things to me. Everyone's going to do. I don't have that expectation. I have the expectation that we're all broken. And broken people do broken things. That doesn't mean that I don't love well. It doesn't mean I don't give grace well. Like for me, I would say you've got to raise your prayer for people. You've got to raise your grace toward people. You've got to raise your forgiveness toward people. But lower your expectations. Broken people do broken things. And guess what? We're all broken. All of us. If you have this high expectation that no one's going to fail you, you're going to be sorely disappointed by the afternoon. Broken people do broken things. So you have to lower your expectation. Raise your grace. Raise your prayers. Raise your hope. Lower your expectation. Second step, lower your expectation and raise your gratitude for God's grace. Raise your gratitude for God's grace. One of the things that allows me to be less offendable is to raise my gratitude for God's grace in my own life. I recognize that I'm a sinner. In fact, by show of hands, how many of you would say, I'm a sinner? Okay, most of us. If you're not raising your hand, you're sinning. Just, <laughs> just being honest. All of us are sinners. Every one of us. This is why we need the grace of God. Because when we sin, we're separated from God. And there's nothing that you can do to make, make it right. There's nothing you can do to, to enter into a, a right relationship with God. There's no good works. There's not enough good things you can say. Nothing. 
It's only by the grace of God that we can be saved. It's only by the grace of God that we can be forgiven. I love Ephesians chapter 2, the way that it writes here, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You're not saved because you did a bunch of good things. So you can be like, oh, look at me. I'm so good. God's like, no, you're all broken. You're all sinners in need of a Savior. And this is why Jesus came. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can receive grace. So we can have eternal life. But it's not on our own. It's not based on what I do. It's based on what God has already done for me. Only by the grace of God am I saved. Only by the grace of God am I forgiven. Only by the grace of God can I forgive others. And so when I begin to think about what other people do, I remember the grace of God in my life. Like they lied. And, and I've lied. Or they gossiped. And I've gossiped. Oh, they're so arrogant. And I can be arrogant. But they stole and I've stolen. I'm going to stop there listing all my past sins because I don't want you to leave the church, but we're all messed up. We're all broken. And so it's real easy for me to like point at your sin, point at your stuff. But when I raise my gratitude for God's grace, I'm recognizing my own and say, God, thank you. Thank you for saving a sinner like me. Thank you for offering me grace giving me a second chance. Thank you for forgiving me and allowing me the power and the ability to forgive others and to offer grace to others. Right now, there's so many people in our world, and I would say probably all of us wrestle with this, where and we see something, we hear something, there's an issue, there's a political issue, there's a group of people, there's a person that's harmed us or whatever it is. And when we're offended, just like the people in Jesus' time, we want to pick up a stone. And man, we want to hurl that stone at them. You did this to me, or you're doing this in our culture, or you're whatever, man, I'm going to get you back. And God's saying, it's time. It's time to let down the stone. It's time to let go of the offense. To let go of what that person did when you were a child, to let go of what that person did three months ago, to let go of those people, that group, to let it go. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna start this series off in a way that I believe prepares our heart for what is to come. And that's by first letting go. And so all of you should have this rock on your chair. If it's not, you might be a little uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I want you to pull this out. I want you to hold on to it. And here's what I want you to do. That person, that thing, that group, I want you to attribute this rock to that. You don't have to write their name on it. You don't have to write that issue on it. But my guess is, Every person in here has that person or that group of people or that issue you're offended by. 
I'm going to ask you today to let it go. We're going to talk about over the next few weeks some, some next steps and how do we find healing and, and how do we live our lives in such a way that man, it's, it, it's easier for us just to kind of let it go. But today starts the process of healing for us. And so the band's going to lead us in a little bit of worship. And when you're ready, I want you to come forward or backwards. There's some, some buckets in the back. There's a bucket in the courtyard and there's some buckets up front. And I want you to just come to the bucket and I'll be the first. Let it go. We purposely chose loud buckets so that you would know you're not alone too. We're all in this. So as a band leads us in worship, I'm gonna pray for us. When you're ready, when you feel like you're at a point where you're like, I'm ready to let go of this. I'm ready to finally let go of what this person did to me or let go of what these people are currently doing or let go of whatever it may be. I don't want you to come forward and drop it. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to, God, just be challenged by your word this morning. And I pray, Father, that each one of us, as we're identifying that individual, as we're identifying that group, as we're identifying those people who've said that thing about my son or those people who've done that thing to me or those people, whatever it may be, God, we would let it go. And that today would start the process of healing for us. God, you would help us to find healing in you, Jesus, and in you alone.